0: Arches and Halos, professional
1: brow grooming. Be bold, be you.
0: Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from howstuffworks.com.
1: Hey and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly and I'm Kristen. Kristen, today's episode idea came from one of our listeners named Tanya, and she wrote in that in all the podcasts we have done, which is more than 150 by now, you believe it? We have never discussed women in the art world. And she was right. And so she suggested we start with the guerrilla girls as sort of a way of getting in to this discussion of women in the art world.
0: And I think we should clarify right now that we're talking about gorillas as in guerrilla warfare, not gorillas, even though the guerrilla girls dress up in gorilla suits.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was about to say you don't want to mislead people too much because their name is G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-A, but they wear masks. From G-O-R-I-L-L-A-S.
0: Yes. Gorillas dressed up like gorillas. So we took her advice and what a wonderful podcast we have for you on women in the arts. And specifically, who are the Gorilla Girls? Because we mentioned them in our podcast on women directors, film directors. I think we gave them a little shout out. But the Guerrilla Girls got started because they got riled up in 1984 about an exhibition entitled An International Survey of Painting and Sculpture put on by the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Uh, and it was supposed to be a survey of the most significant contemporary art in all of the world. And according to this exhibit, um, women weren't doing much because out of the 169 artists, that were on display at the MoMA, only 13 of them were women.
1: And they also made note that all of the artists were white from Europe or the U.S. And so it was, you know, it was just such a small spectrum of the world, apparently making all the significant art. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it just, as Kristen said, it riled them up. So at first they just kind of, you know, handed out some, you know, pamphlets, they had a picket line, but it wasn't making any difference, like no one noticed them. And so what they decided to do was to make this poster that uh, pointed out this huge disparity and they uh, it was very clever, they always use a lot of wit when they're making posters. Mm -hmm. They went out at night so no one would see them wearing these gorilla masks, so no one knows them because apparently most of them have jobs in the arts, they're either artists themselves, they're curators, they work in museums. And it's such a small world that they didn't want to lose their jobs over this. But they would go out at night in these masks and poster. And so you'd wake up one day and everywhere you turn to New York, there'd be a poster reminding you that MoMA exhibits no art by women.
0: Mm-hmm. And this started really in 1985. The Guerrilla Girls uh, took off. And since then, they have... You know, obviously I started with um, visual arts, but um, lately they've been taking more of a stab to you at the film world as well. So just
1: to give you an idea of what some of these posters are like, I printed off two of my favorites. There was one from 1988 called The Advantages of Being a Woman Artist. And it's a list of, it looks like 15 bullet points that come with being a woman artist, such as like um, working without the pressure of success because women artists don't tend to get much success, having an escape from the art world in your four freelance jobs, knowing your career might pick up after you're 80, being reassured that whatever kind of art you make, it will be labeled feminine, not being stuck in a tenured teaching position, being included in revised versions of art history,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: not having to undergo the embarrassment of being called a genius. So you can see it's very sarcastic. It's very cutting. It's, um, you know, it's just a reminder that these women were not getting the appreciation that the men were. Another example from 1989 was called uh, Bus Companies Are More Enlightened Than New York City Art Galleries. And they looked at a bunch of jobs and saw that the percentage of women in jobs such as bus driving, uh, carrying mail, driving trucks, and welding was either more or very similar to the percentage of women artists in the major New York City galleries. So what they are doing is the posters always have sort of a lot of data about ways in which women are far outnumbered, mm-hmm. and uh, the Guerrilla Girls sort of set out to be what they called the conscience of the art world.
0: Yeah, they constantly call out the quote stale, male, pale Yale perspective on art history. Basically, the fact that you know all of our history, art history textbooks, um, museums, galleries—it's always constantly exhibiting the work. Um, and revering the work of white guys, yeah. essentially, which another, is really a theme in a, in, a, in a lot of textbooks. But
1: And another good point that uh, one of the posters was, do you have to be naked to get into this museum? Because the women artists couldn't get in on the basis of their own work, but they could get in if they were painted naked by, you know, some Renaissance painter.
0: Right, because the majority of the nudes in museums obviously are are of women. I like the fact that the Gorilla Girls also have this kind of a cool anarchist flavor to them as well. Because not only do they ride around in uh, in gorilla costumes and gorilla masks, but they also only go under pseudonyms. They mm-hmm. each choose uh, female artists' names to use. And uh, uh, the one who popped up the most, who seems to be kind of the, the default spokes, gorilla, if you will, is one who a woman who chose um Kathy Colwitz, who is a German artist who lived from eighteen forty five to nineteen forty five. My goodness, Colwitz. <laughs> um that was her pseudonym. And uh her later on we find out from Jeffrey Tubin from The New Yorker that her real name is apparently Erica Rothenberger. But we couldn't confirm much else on the internet. Because like you said, Molly, these women are uh very insistent on Hiding their identities because they are in the art world and they could kind of suffer some pretty intense repercussions, uh, if, if they found, if people found out that they were gorilla girls. Even though now gorilla girls have kind of become an accepted part of the art world, wouldn't you say?
1: Yes, I would, uh, Kristen. Something that the New York Times made, made clear in a 2004 profile because, you know, the women would walk around in gorilla masks and, you know, the children would know who they were and the people just at these museums would know who they were, but, this uh, desire to be anonymous, while it is protective in some ways, has also obviously garnered them a lot of criticism because, you know, these collectors and these curators will say, you know, it's not fair to just be charged with doing something wrong when you don't know who you're being charged by. And, you know, the nature of their criticism, some say, is so negative because, yes, they can come up with this really funny list of all the reasons that being a woman artist sucks or all the lists of the galleries who don't show the men artists and why that sucks but are they offering constructive criticism or are they just running around in gorilla suits getting attention for negative factors because one thing i was struck by uh when a gorilla girl did an interview with fringe they the interviewer lizzie stark asked you know who would you put in an exhibit of women artists in the 20th century? Who Mm -hmm. were the best? Who do you like?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And Kathy Colworth refused to answer because she's like, oh, there's too many to name. And to me, that just kind of seemed like a cop out. Like if your agenda is to promote women in the arts, then give me some names. Like I'm ignorant about women in modern art. Like Mm -hmm. tell me who to, to watch out for. And I think that that's I think I don't know, I've don't i been going back and forth on it since we started researching this podcast, because, again, that goes this goes into the criticism of them. But if you're just saying put more women in a museum, it's just a matter of numbers. And Gorilla girls have been called quota queens. And we've discussed before on this podcast, Chris, about how quota can be a very dirty word. Yeah, it's just it's quality versus quantity. And the Gorilla girls don't. You know, champion artists, they just champion more women artists. But I will say there was one really interesting point that Kathy Colwitz made that because these numbers are so different, because the difference between male artists and women artists exhibited in galleries is so large that you can't even have this discussion about quality yet because there's obviously some factor that's keeping women out of museums. And we first got to increase the numbers before we start talking about, you know, is there a genius in art? You know, who are the great women artists of today, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you think about that, Kristen? I talked for quite a bit there.
0: <laughs> well, I think that um, if anything, as controversial as the Guerrilla Girls can be, I think that no matter what, you have to give them credit for their consciousness-raising efforts, if you will, um, whether or not, you know, they... Promote specific female artists in the right way or you know the wrong way. Um, I don't think that you can disagree with the fact that it, you know, that it's good that they have brought this issue to the forefront um, in the art world and have you know really made people think a lot about well, you know, who are we representing in our galleries? Who are we representing? Who are we representing in these museums and these um, exhibitions? And I think that this quote from Linda Shearer, who was a curator at the Museum of Modern Art in the New York Times kind of speaks to this aspect. She says, in the last 10 years, and this was in 1990, okay, so this was a while ago, but it was also when the Gorilla Girls were really picking up steam, you know, they had not only published all these, uh, printed out all these posters, they'd also published a book and All of that. And she says that in the last 10 years, but especially in the last five, there have been many, many more women artists visible on the scene. And it's partly a chicken egg thing. It's in the air. But guerrilla girls have been partly responsible for putting it in the air. Um, And so today, you know, 20 years later, where are we? Um, I think that maybe. Uh, I think you're right. I think that we do have to move beyond just talking about sheer quotas to maybe talking about deeper issues in terms of um, what is feminist art? Is feminist art important? And um, also whether or not we should be so focused on, um, you know, really promoting just women artists, you know, praising their work as women artists, instead of focusing so much on quotas, maybe we need to look deeper into maybe the value of feminist art and what does um, what does women's art, you know, what role does it play in the greater spectrum of art history? Uh, for instance, there was some controversy surrounding the um, National Women's Art Museum, uh, wondering whether or not we're just coordinating these artists off into their own kind of pink hallway, if you will, instead of respecting them along with their, you know, the male greats as well.
1: Mm -hmm. And there was a Washington Post profile on that women's art museum, and they they used a quote from Gloria Steinem that I think maybe makes a lot of sense in this context, in that if you're offered the choice, Gloria, I'm going to paraphrase Gloria Steinem, but she said, if you're offered the choice between this or that, between this being a women's art museum and that being an art museum with both men and women... Take both. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that was sort of her permission that it is OK to have a pink hallway. And I think that, uh, you know, that's sort of it's it's interesting. It's something that we've gone over again and again in this podcast about whether by just pointing out that someone is female, are we handicapping them? Versus, are we pushing them to be truly equal in this spectrum of men?
0: Well, and the author from the, from the, the journalist of the Washington Post also pointed out that, um, while yes, there is some, you know, there, there is a little bit of a problem with having everything always designated off as the women's this or the women's that. But for art specifically, for visual art, having this showcase of women's art Is a clear demonstration that we don't all make the same kinds of things. You know, we're not, you know, they're not all painting bloody vulvas. (laughs) If I, if I may be graphic. Um, because that was a piece in, in a woman's art show. It's not like. Yeah. It's not all, it's not all menstrual art. You know, we are very thinking, complex, uh, people with varied interests, just like, you know, the the museums that might feature a lot more male artists. And I think that that makes as much of a statement, a powerful statement and a positive statement um, than, you know, kind of the other choice, like Steinem's talking about, of being hung up alongside, you know, uh, de Kooning and Picasso Mm -hmm. and Pollock and all the rest.
1: Well, and I I did notice in most of the recent articles about female artists, and we're not going to be able to fully, you know, go into this question today, Kristen. This is, you know, probably a topic for another time, but You know, the question that it seems that's being grappled with sort of under the surface is whether art produced by a female is different than art produced by a male. And some of these profiles in The Washington Post sort of made the point that the females art, especially in the recent decades, has been more political, that it is just so different from, you know, Renaissance art or Impressionism, that how could you compare? How could you really say that this needs to be next to that when it's it's a different it's, it's serving a different purpose.
0: Well, if we're talking about feminist art in particular, there was a quote from, um, Jeremy Strick, who is the director of the Museum of Contemporary Art in LA. And he says that the feminist art of the 1970s was the most influential international movement of any during the post-war period because, uh, their arguments, and there are other people, other people in the art world who kind of confirmed that, agreed with that statement. And, uh, and their whole point was that feminine, uh, feminism, Kind of push back against this art for art's sake attitude that was driven in large part by male artists of the time and brought back the, the politics of, um, of art.
1: And so I think that that really puts the Guerrilla Girls in some context in that, that, that article you're citing, Kristen, sort of made the point that women, because they were in such a time of upheaval with the feminist movement, didn't have time just to be art for artists for art's sake. It was yeah. about making a statement and that is what the guerrilla girls do like we said they don't necessarily champion specific things but they're making statements they're raising you know questions in your mind about what you're seeing and that is sort of what art is designed to do you're designed to walk away thinking about something in a new way mm-hmm. so by that extension you know just the the existence of the guerrilla girls is art in itself
0: well and and for me the kind of reexamining this idea of just feminist art, because I don't think, um, you know, I'm not trying to say that, you know, uh, every, every piece of artwork created by a, a female artist is inherently, um, feminist. Uh, but just this idea of feminist artwork in general, um, kind of made me think about it in a, in a little bit of a different light, because the Washington Post part- article points out that, um, you know, the feminist artwork doesn't just deal with just The aspect of women in terms of our relationship with our bodies, but also just the fact that gender affects pretty much everything in society. And, and because of that, these artists were attacking, you know, not only bodies, but also class, race, consumerism, the artwork or the art market, colonialism, politics and cultural power. Not to say that this isn't something that male artists have been, haven't been doing.
1: But if the male artist doing that very same thing has an easier time getting in a museum right. than the female artist, then that would be the inherent problem that the guerrilla girls are trying to fight against.
0: Well, and it's different, and it's different perspective, too. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the point, one of the the purposes of great art is to open your eyes to a different perspective on the world. And if all of those perspectives are not represented, then they aren't really doing you justice, these kinds of museums and galleries.
1: Which gets to the point about who is designing the museums and galleries. And that's, you know, why I, I talked earlier about uh, the quality versus quantity issue. The Guerrilla Girls would say that because, you know, we've got white males putting these exhibits together, that's why it's a matter of, you know, numbers right now, because they are so, you know, it's almost like they're looking for ways not to include all those perspectives, because, you know, those perspectives are sort of designed to, not put them out of power, but to question their power. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, it's really reflective of a lot of things we've talked about over the course of the podcast. But I want to talk a little bit uh, about the 1971 paper, which uh, did a lot before the Guerrilla Girls were on the scene to make these curators think about what they were putting on their walls. And that was a paper by Linda Nochlin, an art historian, and it was called, Why Have There Been No Great Women Artists?
0: Now, before we dive into this more, I think that we do need to point out that, um you know, women have not received as much credit where credit has been due in art history simply because of certain um, kind of cultural, societal factors holding them back. For instance, with painter's guilds in the medieval and renaissance periods, a lot of women worked in these um, workshop systems. However, the guild rules um, would forbid women from either reaching the rank of master. And their works produced in the guilds would always be signed by the male workshop masters. So there were, you know, all of these works that were being created that wouldn't be attributed to women. Um, a lot of women artists back in the day would actually rem- remain anonymous to protect their identities. Or also there's, you know, the issue of, you know, taking their husband's name so uh their their work might be incorrectly credited um just because of naming conventions. So it's like when when we think about, you know, why why we can't call out more of the um more women artists throughout history, not just, you know, the Jenny LaSalle's and Adrian Pipers of today, but uh it, it might largely be due to the fact that we are just underrepresented from um lack of uh really just being allowed to be um recognized for it.
1: And Nachlin kind of goes into that in her introduction, that there are a lot of reasons why it would be hard for the female equivalent of a Rembrandt or a Picasso to emerge. But, you know, where where are those people? Are there those people out there at all? And so the paper was sort of a plea to look at, you know, who you're putting on the walls and why is it is it a matter of just romanticizing these old male artists or are we genuinely overlooking good art? Mm-hmm. And so this was published in art news and we found an article from uh, a few years ago where they were trying to reconsider what had changed in the past 30 years uh, since the paper, you know, because now you may be able to name a handful of female artists, but it gets to this issue of quality versus quantity, which the gorilla girls ignore and uh, they got a bunch of quotes from people who said that actually the quality may not be there compared to the male artists. I mean, here's one quote from Marla Prather, the curator of post-war art at the Whitney. She writes, even when you pay more attention to those careers that shouldn't have been lost in the great shuffle of art history, it doesn't necessarily mean their estimation of the work increases. And here's another one from Robert Rosenblum, a professor of modern European art at New York University. He writes, every historical survey I've done has had a lot of women artists in it, but none of them are great the way Picasso is great, the way Cezanne is great. And that is true of the majority of men artists. So there's still this question of what is greatness? Who is defining it? And just to uh, you know satisfy a definition, do we need to include female perspectives or are they not there yet? I mean, I can just say. From our listeners, our listeners have sent us in some amazing photos and clips of works they've done. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of artistic listeners. So I, well, I feel like the women artists are out there. Why are they still not being represented despite the fact that we've got Guerrilla Girls and Lyndon Knockland saying, look for them?
0: Well, I do think though that, you know, that we can throw out some names that are, you know, repeatedly circulated in the art world. I mentioned Cindy Sherman earlier. There's Barbara Kruger, Louise Lawler um, Adrian Piper, Maya Lin, uh, Mariko Mori. There are a lot of women who are out there doing, and if you look at all of their work side by side, I mean, it's such a broad spectrum of not only mediums, but also, uh, perspectives and design. Um, so, so sure. I mean, there's plenty of stuff there. There is, there's genius out there, you know,
1: and it seems like they're admitting that there's genius out there, but still refusing to put it on the same level of male genius. And
0: yeah, well, because a lot of these curators will also admit, like, yeah, it's still kind of an old boys club in so, a lot of these um, museums and uh, museums and galleries. And so then that's the question: it's maybe like, well, it, who who controls the purse strings? That's true too. Is I mean, genius defined by? you know, which wealthy patron likes you the most? Probably. But I mean, that goes back to other issues we've
1: talked about in women in business. And it just seems that for being such a progressive field, art is very behind in terms of gender equality, in terms of investing in women artists. And, you know, you just, you keep going back to, do we still need women in gorilla suits putting up posters? And I would say the answer is yes. For all the criticism that can be lobbed against the gorilla girls for, being negative and not championing a specific artist, and uh, being all about the Q word quota. I mean, there does come this point where you can name off, you can just, you just rattled off a bunch of women artists mm-hmm. who aren't in a lot of museums.
0: Yeah. And uh, they prompted us to chat for like 25, 30 minutes about all of this stuff. So. Yeah. Do we need them? Absolutely. Because if anything, they're starting conversations um, and they are, you know, getting, getting us thinking about all these things because this was, this was a question that was raised in one of the articles. And I think it's a good question to, to sort of end on. It's like, all right, listeners, I want, you know, try to name your favorite um female artist of the 20th century. And Frida Kahlo is not allowed, you know? <laughs> And now try to, you know, rattle off or name five. Give me five. Mm-hmm. And now rattle off five male artists. It's going to be a lot easier to fill out those, you know, the five columns for uh, for men. I was telling Kristen before we came in here that my
1: theory is that if we update the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to be females, then we could pos- possibly expose a lot more people woman artist because I know that I first heard about Leonardo from the Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm. I first heard about Donatello from Ninja Turtles. I mean, it was, obviously I learned, you know, about their artwork much later, but I feel like if, if there were little kids running around emulating Frida Kahlo uh-huh. that, you know, we could really, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying if you're a book publisher out there, call me cause I've got some, I've got some children's books ideas for a female equivalent of the Ninja Turtles that is gonna expand the art world.
0: I mean, O'Keefe doesn't have quite the same ring as yes, Michael it does. It'd be like, O'Keefe, go!
1: <laughs> and right. she would fight them with big flowers. This is great. And but... sexual overtones.
0: I cannot wait to see your new animated project, Molly. <laughs> uh, well, obviously Molly and I are not, we're not art experts and we really are not that deeply engaged in the art world and uh i can only draw stick figures and those 3d cube things i don't know about you molly maybe you're more artistic than i am so i would love to hear from our artists out there both male and female let us know what's going on and let us know who we should be um who we should call out i think it would be great to um, to get a get a blog post together, start tweeting some um, up and coming female artists that people should keep an eye out for.
1: A virtual Sminty art museum, exactly. Um, or my ninja turtle idea. Yes. Help me out with
0: that. So shoot us an email. The address is momstuffhowstuffworks.com. And Molly, I think we've got time for an email, right? Quick. <laughs> Okay, well, I've got an email here from Jing. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, And this is in response to our episode on foot binding. And Jing says, My great-grandmother had her feet bound, but unlike in former times, her feet were not broken. I don't remember her feet being extra tiny, and she didn't wear lotus shoes. Of course, since I saw her... Last, when I was four, I can't remember how small her foot was. My grandmother on the other side of the family was told to bind her feet by her father, but her mother was very strict about it, so she often took off the bandages off herself. Her foot turned out very normal. So in her case, her foot was only bound to discourage growth. Since she had to run away with her school to escape the bombs during the Japanese invasion of China when she was barely a teenager, I have to say that it was very lucky her foot was not bound. Also, I don't think you mentioned that foot binding was practiced almost exclusively among the Han ethnicity in China. During China's last dynasty, the Qing Dynasty, the ruling class was Manchurian, not Han, and the emperor forbid girls from buying their feet. The Mongolians and the many other minority ethnicities in China did not practice foot binding. Certain ethnicities that did practice foot binding often didn't break the bones of the feet, only discouraged growth and made the foot narrower. So thank you so much for the informative email. And as always, if you'd like to send us informative emails, so if you've got an email, send it our way. It's momstuff at howstuffworks.com. We would love for you to become a fan of us on Facebook. You can also follow us on Twitter. And then finally, you can check out our blog, Stuff Mom Never Told You, and it's found at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? The Gold Club was the top strip club in Atlanta in the 1990s, with patrons like Dennis Rodman, Michael Jordan, Madonna, the King of Sweden. But in 2001, the club was put on trial with charges of prostitution, extortion, credit card fraud, racketeering, and an affiliation with the mob. I'm journalist Christina Lee, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes of the Gold Club scandal, from the booty and bubbly to the deceit and courtroom drama. Listen to Racket Inside the Gold Club on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Paper Ghosts is a true crime podcast that investigates the search for the person responsible for the abductions of four missing girls in neighboring New England towns. For more than 50 years, each case has remained unsolved.
1: Every day is like being lost in limbo. I pray every day that we find Lisa so we can go on.
0: It wasn't until this past year that things took an unexpected turn, a breakthrough. Answers to decades old questions and witnesses finally ready to talk.
1: I know that that's the person that was there. I can describe what he's wearing. I can smell him a mile away.
0: Jesus, Mary, and Josephine. I hope that's not a grave for many. Oh, you know what? I think it is. Listen to Paper Ghosts on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.